It's time for Travelers 411. Here's one of the 100 most powerful women in travel, Stephanie Abrams. On the line with me as part of our memorial and honor to a giant of a man, John Hume, who was the 1998 Nobel Peace Prize recipient um, who uh, was the co-person receiving it as the opposition party leader, David Trimble, uh, was recognized at the same time. Um, And John um, was instrumental in the forging of the Good Friday Agreement to end the troubles in Northern Ireland, which um, we could use today uh, that kind of expertise uh, with so much strife, dissension, and polarization in not only in the whole world, but we're seeing so much of it in the United States. And we really need to get past all this. And so I am just so, actually I'm getting chills on this warm day, um, even saying these words that I am blessed to have on the line with us, Eamon O'Queeve, a um, member of uh, the Dale Aaron, the Parliament of Ireland, uh, and the grandson of Eamon de Valera, one of the presidents of Ireland who fought to create a free, independent, and uh, Ireland in one piece without the division. Had he been successful in fighting the partition uh, just about 100 years ago, of Northern Ireland from the Republic, the independent Republic of Ireland, there never would have been troubles. There, there never would have been the need for the Good Friday Agreement. Um, it, it's remarkable what politics and geographics will do to people who otherwise would live happily side by side with one another. And so thank you so much, Eamon, for joining us today. Um, The last time we spoke was about four or five years ago when I did an interview with you sitting on the stage in the auditorium at the St. Patrick's Center in County Down. And um, you can find uh, all of that if you go to sabrams.com and put in um, O-Quiv, O-Apostrophe-C-U-I-V. You will get the links to the archived audio, blog, stories, and um, we've also memorialized that event in episode five of Travel TV with Stephanie Abrams, um, where there are photos uh, inserted into that episode celebrating St. Patrick in Northern Ireland um, of, um, of, of me on the stage with Eamon O'Queeve, who, by the way, is almost the spitting image of his grandfather, Eamon de Valera. Um, it was quite shocking the first time I saw you <laughs> because the <laughs> resemblance is striking. And you were very lucky in that you, if I'm, if memory serves me properly, you were 26 years old when your grandfather passed and you had a close, uh, caring relationship so that you were able to learn firsthand from him Um, the political legends and the family legends associated with uh, his importance in 
um, the arrival of the Republic of Ireland as an independent state from Britain. Is that true? Well, you, you know, that's, how I, that's right. I, I was uh, 25 years of age when he died. Um, we obviously knew him very well. There were 18 grandchildren, but we knew him very well because he was a grandparent like any grandparent uh, and a very benign gra- grandparent at that. But, of course, uh, when we used to be up at the Aulis, uh, you know, there was many, many times that somebody would ask him about something historic and he was always willing to tell stories. And he'd also tell stories to younger people uh, about escapades and events that happened in his life. But he was very forthcoming, very, very easy to talk to, and uh, and very, very much a a family man. And would you say that that relationship, what you learned from your grandfather, um, what you learned about the emergence of this brand-new independent country of Ireland, um, motivated you to go into public service? Well, I think it certainly interested us in public service in its widest uh, meaning of the word. Uh, I, as a family, I I think we were very much motivated to look, even at a community level, as to what you could get involved in and about helping people. Uh, I started off as a, a development manager of a small a community business that was trying to create employment in a rural area. Now, I grew up in Dublin. I'm from Dublin. I was educated in Dublin, went to university in Dublin. But, but you, I went to the west of Ireland. Right. Uh, and you to, represent Connemara, which is pretty rural. Uh, oh, very, very rural. Well, I represent Connemara and Galway, but I, uh, I live in Connemara in a very rural area. Uh, I went there and I spent 18 years before I got into politics in this developmental role where we started creating employment, uh, developing the farming in the area and so on. Uh, we were also trying to develop the language in the area, the Irish language, and you know, we've been relatively successful at yes, that you as have. well. So I had all these years of community work before I got involved in electoral politics. Uh, and you know, the inspiration for the community work is much Oops. from both sides of the family, from my father's side of the family, as well as from my mother's side. Now, it's my mother that was Eamon de Valera and the daughter of Eamon de Valera. So the connection with him de Valera is through my mother. Wow. Yes, of course, because otherwise it was through your father, your last name would be de Valera as well. <laughs> That's true, yeah. That's it. That is true. That is true. Um, what town do you live in, in Connemara? Uh, well, now, if it's a town, no, you wouldn't really call it a town. It's a place called Cornamona. Uh, the town consists of one pub, one shop, uh, two schools, funny enough, a primary school and a very small secondary school, and one church. And that's basically the whole village. How uh, far are most you? Of us, How far most are... of us live scattered in houses scattered around the You don't actually live in a kind of cluster settlement we live in. The, you, you're familiar with the Irish countryside where there are houses yes, all over the place. To the outside eye, it looks random. To all of us, we know exactly what townland we live in. Uh, the whole country is divided up into townlands. Now, these townlands are areas of land. Ah, oh, my goodness, we lost but, you for a second. You now. know, there's a geography there that predates modern-type geography and the town geography uh, of... We say the last five or six hundred years, uh, this old Celtic geography 
uh, is still very, very strong in the rural areas. Well, how far would you be from, let's say, Spittle? From how far would you be from uh, Delphi? Uh, how far would you be from Lanan? Uh, I'm about 15 miles from Lanan. Oh, okay. Uh, about 20, 20 odd miles from Delphi. I'm 40 miles from Spittle, but I'm actually only 30. Three or thirty-four miles from Galway City, okay. and about thirty miles from Castle Bar. I, I had a funny, um, you know, we're just freshly the, back. The, the most town that, the most place the people now uh, in America would know, uh, and that is Kong. Now they might not realize they know Kong, but they all do know Kong because Irish America has right. all seen the Quiet Man film. Right. The Quiet Man film was filmed in Kong in County Mayo. Right. Uh, and that's about eight miles from my house. So that's oh, okay. in Kong. Oh, okay. Quite I know exactly where you are. It's is, is about eight, eight miles from my house. Right. And, about and, a rope, about 14. And Kong is a kind of strange place because the divider line between County Galway and County Mayo goes right through the river there in Kong. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you know, you can, you can say you're in Galway and find out, no, you're really not. You're in Mayo at the moment because you crossed a little bridge. Well, uh, that that's true. Uh, uh, some people have been in Ashford Castle. Yes. Uh, and you often see postcards with Ashford Castle, Kong, County Mayo. The actual castle itself is uh, in County Galway right? Right. because it's across a little drawbridge, right. and the drawbridge is the county boundary. But the golf course belonging to the castle is in County Mayo. Oh, that's hilarious! You know, um, we were we we're just freshly back from five months being marooned. Um, like um, uh, the, 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 the stories about Robinson Crusoe and Friday, um, that would have been us, Robinson Crusoe and Friday. Uh, and we would have been um, marooned, um, not being able to fly home after three weeks in Ireland on the 18th of March because everything closed on the 16th of March. So we lived um, a total of five months in Ireland. We've just gotten back. And um, while we were there, we saw a TV program. I think it was on ITV network or channel. And it was um, Murder, She Wrote with Angela Lansbury. All of my listeners would be familiar with that. If you can find it on YouTube or buried someplace on Netflix or Amazon uh, Prime or something like that. The episode called Murder in Cork was actually filmed, at least on the exterior. The interior may well have been filmed in a sound studio in Hollywood or somewhere. But um, the exterior of the house she's supposed to be staying at is really Delphi Lodge in Delphi and Connemara. And well, as we were watching, the, the story starts, and the, the titles come on, and the first thing you see is that house in the distance. And as you see the house in the distance, I said to my husband, Mark, that's Delphi Lodge. And yeah. indeed, indeed it was. So they tried to make everybody think that they were in um, Cork, but they were actually in Connemara in County Galway. We're going to take a quick break because I want to come back and talk with Eamon O'Queeve now that you're a bit acquainted with him about John Hume, who just last week 
passed away at the age of 83, a man who gave a lifetime of service to the people of Northern Ireland in a variety of ways, which culminated in his being awarded as the co-winner of the 1998 Nobel Peace Prize for forging the Good Friday Agreement and bringing an end and resolution to the troubles in Northern Ireland. So we'll talk about that when we get back. Stay with me. This is Stephanie Abrams, back in America. We'll be right back. Don't leave me. Movie show travel itineraries with dots on maps. I want to do better than that and take you traveling by TV. Hi, this is Stephanie Abrams. Join me on Sundays on my new show, Travel TV with Stephanie Abrams, airing coast to coast when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Plan to sit right beside me. We'll explore travel for fun, business, reunions, weddings, honeymoons, families, and sports adventures, reaching homes in Boston, New York City, Miami, Orlando, Tampa, Dallas, Houston, Nashville, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and more cities across America. Our affiliate TV stations are listed at sabrams.com slash blog. That's s-a-b-r-a-m-s dot com slash blog and at biztv.com. Let's take off traveling together when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Sundays. The magic is happening at Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass. One of New England's most popular attractions, the village is a unique entertaining world of fun, fantasy, food, and fragrance for the whole family. It's also the world's largest candle shop where kids and grown-ups can make their own candles. The village is home to the enchanting Black Forest, where it snows year-round. Santa's Workshop, where he welcomes visitors every day of the year. And the Bavarian Christmas Village, filled with sparkling holiday ornaments. In addition to over 400,000 candles, you'll find toys, gifts, and more from great names like Pandora and Vera Bradley. And with tasty treats from Yankee Candy, Fresh Fudge, and Popcornopolis, every day is a holiday. Or sit down with the family for a wonderful meal at the award-winning Chandler's Restaurant. Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass. Where families come for the candles and stay for the fun. Take the Mass Pike to I-91, exit 24. Ah, Curacao, the island that offers vacationers 55 different cultures wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture like those you'd find in the Netherlands, but dressed in Southern Caribbean sherbet colors. Curacao's capital city, Willemstead, is a UNESCO World Heritage City waiting for you to explore its many attractions. And when you've whipped up an appetite and thirst after sightseeing and visiting your choice of over 60 dive and snorkeling sites complete with intimate coves and beaches, you'll find a a wide variety of sidewalk cafes, gourmet restaurants, local eateries, and markets to satisfy every palate. Slide into Curacao's live and let live way of life. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com or call toll free 800-328-7222. That's 800-328-7222. Your U.S. passport is the key to your international adventures abroad and is the most secure travel document that proves both citizenship and identity. The State Department's official website, travel.state.gov, has comprehensive information about applying for a passport for the first time, renewing a passport, passports for minors, fees, and much more. You can apply at over 8,000 passport acceptance facilities 
including post offices and clerks of court. Standard processing is currently four to six weeks, and expedited service takes two to three weeks. If you need your passport in less than two weeks, call 1-877-487-2778 to schedule an appointment at one of our regional passport agencies. Once you have your passport, sign up for our Smart Traveler Enrollment Program and download our Smart Traveler app on your smartphone. You will receive country-specific information, travel alerts, and warnings. Visit us at travel.state.gov today. It's Travelers 411. I am so delighted to once again be speaking with Eamon De Valera's grandson, Eamon O'Queeve, who are you still very much involved uh, as a TD, um, oh, yeah. a minister in Irish government? No, I'm not a minister in the government, but I am a TD. Okay. Uh, I'm very, 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 very involved. I'm particularly involved in issues in relation to the peace process in Ireland, which is still ongoing. It's unfinished business. I know, it's an evolution, uh, isn't uh, it? And I'm working still with both communities. Uh, I do quite a bit of work with uh, Republicans who are in prison, but I also have good contacts with the unionist community. Um, I believe in talking. I, 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 when I got elected the first time in 89, uh, I showed an interest in the North. It, it was something I was concerned about. I thought the standoff policy of not talking to people it was wrong. Uh, I believe that the only way of bringing peace about is not by security forces, but by talking and persuasion. Uh, I used to visit prisoners, Republican prisoners in Britain and in Northern Ireland wow. in the 90s. Um, I obviously didn't do that during the period from, 2000, from 1997 to 2011 when I was a minister in the government. But accidentally, I started doing it again, north and south. Uh, and that work continues. Uh, people can be critical about you talking to this one or to that one, having friendships here or having friendships there. Uh, my belief is uh, peace is built by talking, uh, and you know, the resolution of most disputes uh, and the ending of violence will be done by persuasion. I remember one day I was visiting McGabry Prison in Northern Ireland and uh, about two years ago, and I was talking to the prison governor and I made the comment to him. I said, in the modern world, when you think about it, if somebody wants to carry out a terrorist act, wants to do it, they will do it. They can use a truck, a lorry. They can use all sorts of things. Uh, and therefore, you can't really secure yourself against this. I said, the real security that most of us depend on every day is that the other person doesn't want to get you. And that the greatest security we all have in the places we live and why we often feel secure is not because we've got security cameras or because we've got protection, but because nobody, we believe nobody really wants to get us. And, you know, we've gone 90% of the way in the north of Ireland towards that goal. We need to get the other 10%. Yeah, and you know, when you mentioned how if somebody wants to do something terroristic, um, it doesn't necessarily take, necessarily take a lot. You look at a 9-11 in the U.S., people bought very inexpensive airline tickets and for a couple of dollars, some box cutters 
those little plastic things with a little razor blade at the end used for opening uh, packages and cutting tape and that the like. And with just that little investment, we're able to cause such chaos in the lives of not only Americans, but the people from, I believe the number was over 80 countries who are in the World Trade Center, who were at the Pentagon, um, who were on planes that that came down. And, um, you know, if somebody, it's, 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 it is impossible really to entirely protect yourself from terrorism um, unless you reach the minds and hearts of other people and can convince them of the value of what can come out of friendship and working together as opposed to, you know, some egotistical power mongers who just want to be in charge because they can. And it's really horrifying. There's another issue. Um, lots of people are alienated from the system. We find this in every country, particularly in the more socially deprived areas. Uh, and unless they know people in the system and know that they're genuine, and you know, we look after fair play and so on, they become alienators and they, you know, it's easy to fight people that you don't know and that you think aren't for your, uh, don't care. Now, my experience is by getting to know people who might be thinking that violence was the way forward and persuading them that politics could work. By getting to know them and proving your bona fide, then it's much easier to go the way of peace because you don't see the other side as the enemy. And this is what we have to work for. And that's where John Hume was such a giant. Okay. John Hume so... came for very much from one community in Northern Ireland. And John Hume coming from Derry, Derry is predominantly a national city. Well, we have it's to take a, a quick commercial break talking with Eamon O'Queeve, and we'll be right back. Don't leave me. Portions of today's show brought to you by Curacao, offering vacationers cultural experiences wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture, a UNESCO World Heritage City on a southern Caribbean island with coves, beaches, and over 60 dive and snorkeling sites. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com. Your U.S. passport is the key to your international adventures abroad and is the most secure travel document that proves both citizenship and identity. The State Department's official website, travel.state.gov, has comprehensive information about applying for a passport for the first time, renewing a passport, passports for minors, fees, and much more. You can apply at over 8,000 passport acceptance facilities, including post offices and clerks of court. Standard processing is currently four to six weeks, and expedited service takes two to three weeks. If you need your passport in less than two weeks, call 1-877-487-2778 to schedule an appointment at one of our regional passport agencies. Once you have your passport, sign up for our Smart Traveler Enrollment Program and download our Smart Traveler app on your smartphone. You will receive country-specific information, travel alerts, and warnings. Visit us at travel.state.gov today. 
Movie show travel itineraries with dots on maps. I want to do better than that and take you traveling by TV. Hi, this is Stephanie Abrams. Join me on Sundays on my new show, Travel TV with Stephanie Abrams, airing coast to coast when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Plan to sit right beside me. We'll explore travel for fun, business, reunions, weddings, honeymoons, families, and sports adventures, reaching homes in Boston, New York City, Miami, Orlando, Tampa, Dallas, Houston, Nashville, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and more cities across America. Our affiliate TV stations are listed at sabrams.com slash blog. That's s-a-b-r-a-m-s dot com slash blog and at biztv.com. Let's take off traveling together when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Sundays. Ah, Curacao, the island that offers vacationers 55 different cultures wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture like those you'd find in the Netherlands, but dressed in Southern Caribbean sherbet colors. Curacao's capital city, Willemstead, is a UNESCO World Heritage City waiting for you to explore its many attractions. And when you've whipped up an appetite and thirst after sightseeing and visiting your choice of over 60 dive and snorkeling sites complete with intimate coves and beaches, you'll find a wide variety of sidewalk cafes, gourmet restaurants, local eateries, and markets to satisfy every palate. Slide into Curacao's live and let live way of life. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com or call toll-free 800-328-7222. That's 800-328-7222. The magic is happening at Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass. One of New England's most popular attractions, the village is a unique entertaining world of fun, fantasy, food, and fragrance for the whole family. It's also the world's largest candle shop, where kids and grown-ups can make their own candles. The village is home to the enchanting Black Forest, where it snows year-round. Santa's Workshop, where he welcomes visitors every day of the year. And the Bavarian Christmas Village, filled with sparkling holiday ornaments. In addition to over 400,000 candles, you'll find toys, gifts, and more from great names like Pandora and Vera Bradley. And with tasty treats from Yankee Candy, Fresh Fudge, and Popcornopolis, every day is a holiday. Or sit down with the family for a wonderful meal at the award-winning Chandler's Restaurant. Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass., where families come for the candles and stay for the fun. Take the Mass Pike to I-91, exit 24. Rumors, Stephanie Abrams' novel of secrets, lies, and conspiracies that ensnare the lives of ordinary people in a tightening web that all starts with rumors. Available at Amazon.com in print and Kindle formats and BarnesandNoble.com. Rumors by Stephanie Abrams, the perfect leisure time companion. Traveling soon? Got questions? Email Stephanie at Stephanie at S-A-B-R-A-M-S dot com. It's Travel with Stephanie Abrams. It's Travelers 411. On the line with me, live from Connemara in County Galway, is Eamon O'Queeve, uh, a TD member of the Dow, Erin, the Parliament, uh, the Government of Ireland. 
um, which is this relationship is the result of my travels. You know, sometimes you think about travel as that breakaway to lie on a beach, be under a palm tree, have some fun, go to the theater, listen to a concert, um, get together with some friends somewhere. But if you pay attention not only to the monuments and the museums and the attractions and the events, and you pay attention to the people that you meet along the way, that special sector, which is very easy to do, by the way, when you are in Ireland and Northern Ireland, because the people are very curious about visitors. They want to know you. They want to welcome you. It's part of their DNA. And I have been so amazingly blessed to have met some unbelievably incredible, knowledgeable, interesting people in my travels, not the least of which is Eamon O'Queeve on the line with us. And just as we were leaving the last seg segment, Eamon, you began to talk about John Hume, who that name is probably a brand new name to so many of my listeners, um, except those who have Irish roots, uh, interest in Irish history, interested in um, peace in the world and Nobel Peace Prize winners. They would know about John Hume and people in American government because he worked closely with Bill and Hillary Clinton. He worked closely with the group he called the Four Horsemen. Uh, Speaker Tip O'Neill, Senators Ted Kennedy and Daniel Patrick Moynihan, and Governor Hugh Carey from New York to forge relationships and get people to talk to one another and come to a point where we could put most, most of, much of what was referred to as the troubles in Northern Ireland behind us, although there are flashpoints and flash-ups and flare-ups that happen from time to time when some goofy person decides to throw a rock at somebody walking by innocently or somebody in a parade or some other event where something from the past surfaces and bingo, you've got what is happily a more isolated incident rather than something that catches fire everywhere. But John Hume dedicated so much of his life to making those changes happen. And I wonder um, about your knowledge, information, relationship. How well did you know John and how much about him did you know? Well, obviously we I knew know? an awful lot about him, but I also knew him reasonably well. Um, everybody in Ireland knew about John Hume. He was from a very strong nationalist background in Derry. And Derry is by far or overwhelmingly a nationalist city. In other words, it wants a united Ireland. Uh, but where John was different, he realized there were two communities in Northern Ireland and that you had to work with both communities to get progress. But he also knew that Northern Ireland couldn't exist without connections with the South. In other words, with the Irish government in the South, uh, and with the people of the South. But it also, Ireland couldn't exist without good relationships with Britain, the so-called East-West dimension. So he put forward this theory that there was a three-way uh, connection to be tackled, 
the internal Unionist Nationalists, the North-South within the Isle of Ireland and the East-West between Ireland, North and South and Britain. Uh, and basically that was the genesis of the Good Friday Agreement. Now, he initially got involved in the civil rights movement in Ireland that was modelled on the American civil rights and Martin Luther King and so on, and they were very open that that's what they were modelling, the civil rights movement in Northern Ireland. And just to give you an example, uh, when the civil rights movement got going in America, uh, Derry, two-thirds nationalist, had a unionist majority mayor. It was totally gerrymandered. Uh, and there were other examples across the Northern Ireland. And one of the first campaigns was for one person, one vote. But they moved forward then into all sorts of other issues. But violence erupted. Uh, long story how that happened. Uh, British Army got involved. The IRA got involved. Unionist paramilitaries got involved. And this went on for a long time. And late in the 80s, John Hume decided that the nationalists, that is, that he would have to talk to Jerry Adams, the leader of Sinn Féin, and through him to the IRA and persuade them on another path. This was a slow, slow process. Uh, and persuade them that through politics they could achieve more of their aims than through violence. And the reality is that the rest is history. As you pointed out, he got Irish America behind him. He got Bill Clinton behind this movement. Uh, Irish governments got more, much more proactive. Uh, John Major in Britain and Tony Blair became supportive. So lots of things happened. But you could say that John Hume was the instigator of it all. And I can remember it was about the time I got into politics when a lot of people absolutely scarified John Hume for talking to, inverted commas, terrorists. Those same people today are lauding him as a great peacemaker. You know, that's such an interesting point you make. Um, there can be no progress. There can be the, what, what creates progress. I mean, I can't, except in, in countries where there's a dictator in charge who makes all the decisions and things are, get done easily. They just decree it's going to get done. It's part of the way China rose in power is that they just decided, you know, this is how it's going to be and that's how it was. But when you were dealing in democratic environments, um, usually if there are two people involved, there are three opinions. <laughs> so um, it's, it's necessary to speak, to listen, not just speak loudly and use a bullhorn to overpower what the other person wants to share, but listening is a very important part of that. And then out of that speaking and listening, find the path to compromise where maybe everybody doesn't get everything they want, but they get enough on each side of what can make life better for everybody. And the only way you can do that is to speak with those people who whose opinions are very different from yours. Now in the US, John Cain, a very staunch conservative Republican, and Joe Biden, a very middle of the road uh, Democrat, were fabulous friends. 
um, uh, um, Scalia, Anton Scalia, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, completely opposed ideologically, were great friends, and they went to the opera together with their families because they were both great opera fans. So, you know, one can continue to be politically opposed, diametrically opposed, and yet find middle ground where you can respect and admire one another, even when you don't agree with their ideology. And that's the only way you make progress. We have right now in the U.S., we've had the most polarized situation for far too many years where the people, we call it one side of the aisle or the other side of the aisle, they don't even want to shake hands with each other, let alone speak with one another. You cannot make progress that way. And clearly, the people in the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland learned that early on, and John Hume was such a fabulous example of how to bring it all together. And I've had people in Northern Ireland, and if you've just joined us, I'm talking with Eamon O'Queeve, the TD, a uh, member of Irish Parliament, uh, the Dáil Aaron. Um, I've had people, Eamon, in the North tell me that, you know, there are people alive today who never lived under prior circumstances. People in their early 20s, uh, late teens, they don't know anything about Ireland as it exists today. And, uh, and Northern Ireland as it exists today. Uh, the whole situation of um, the past um, is something outside of, you know, it's something in a history book somewhere. And, and so many people who are older, who have lived through both situations, who have said to me, unquestionably, there is nothing better than peace. It has elevated everybody's life. And yet you have people that are just, you know, warmongering. And it's in every country in the world. I mean, go around the history of the world. We love killing one another, apparently. It's, it's tragic. It's really tragic. So can you give us a kind of a summary for um, your views on John Hume and his accomplishments? Or uh, is there any special anecdote or something that uh, transpired between you and John that you might want to share? Something that will give us uh, a memorable close to our conversation today, Eamon. Well, I had met John Hume you know, numerous times and you know, Ireland's a small country and people involved in politics uh, meet each other. Uh, you know, there were a number of occasions. I remember one occasion we were in John Hume's house in Derry. Uh, it was just the day before uh, there was marches to be held by the apprentice boys in Derry. And we were up there as independent observers, uh, watching both the nationalist and the unionist community and the police to make sure that there would be no incidents. Now, we found that when we did this particular job uh, of observers, they used to bring diplomats, um, people of the cloth, in other words, clergy people, uh, and academics and politicians, and we would observe what was going on. Um, a very, very effective way of making sure that everybody behaved. Normally, it was quite a boring job, uh, but very, very effective. Um, but we were in with, in with John Hume, briefing him on what we were doing. He was very supportive of what we were doing uh, and gave us a great welcome. 
Uh, I remember too in 2006, uh, during the European Union presidency in Ireland, I organised a conference uh, about the islands. Now it was an international European conference, and John was my guest speaker, uh, and he gave a great talk, um, and that was a very very memorable occasion. Uh, unfortunately, his health deteriorated after that, uh, but you know he was a larger than life person. Uh, he had this great ability to network. Networked in America, you've mentioned the big names, including President Clinton, and only for his influence on Clinton. What happened in Ireland would never have happened. George Mitchell would never have come to Ireland. Uh, he was the person who brokered the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, he also networked very, very successfully in the European Parliament as a member, and he was a member there for a long time. And he networked in the British Parliament as well, because he was a member for file of the Westminster Parliament. So he used all of his contacts and his ability to talk to people. And he could be tough. I remember one day when he started talking to Jerry Adams, and there was a lot of criticism, and he was standing outside uh, uh, 10 Downing Street. Now, the metaphor he used is perfect mixed metaphor because he said I don't care right? all the roasted snow but I'm not going to stop talking to Jerry Adams I want no, to I stop you right. I, I want to I stop thought, you right there because we have to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to leave you outside 10 Downing Street, um, and the business about talking or not talking with Jerry Adams, and we'll be right back. To leaving you hanging on the cliff. Don't leave me, Stephanie Abrams here, and we'll be right back. Passport is the key to your international adventures abroad and is the most secure travel document that proves both citizenship and identity. The State Department's official website, travel.state.gov, has comprehensive information about applying for a passport for the first time, renewing a passport, passports for minors, fees, and much more. You can apply at over 8,000 passport acceptance facilities, including post offices and clerks of court. Standard processing is currently four to six weeks, and expedited service takes two to three weeks. If you need your passport in less than two weeks, call 1-877-487-2778 to schedule an appointment at one of our regional passport agencies. Once you have your passport, sign up for our Smart Traveler Enrollment Program and download our Smart Traveler app on your smartphone. You will receive country-specific information, travel alerts, and warnings. Visit us at travel.state.gov today. Rumors, Stephanie Abrams' novel of secrets, lies, and conspiracies that ensnare the lives of ordinary people in a tightening web that all starts with rumors. Available at Amazon.com in print and Kindle formats and BarnesandNoble.com. Rumors by Stephanie Abrams, the perfect leisure time companion.
Traveling soon? Got questions? Email Stephanie at Stephanie at S-A-B-R-A-M-S dot com. It's Travel with Stephanie Abrams. The magic is happening at Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass. One of New England's most popular attractions, the village is a unique entertaining world of fun, fantasy, food, and fragrance for the whole family. It's also the world's largest candle shop, where kids and grown-ups can make their own candles. The village is home to the enchanting Black Forest, where it snows year-round. Santa's Workshop, where he welcomes visitors every day of the year. And the Bavarian Christmas Village, filled with sparkling holiday ornaments. In addition to over 400,000 candles, you'll find toys, gifts, and more from great names like Pandora and Vera Bradley. And with tasty treats from Yankee Candy, Fresh Fudge, and Popcornopolis, every day is a holiday. Or sit down with the family for a wonderful meal at the award-winning Chandler's Restaurant. Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass. Where families come for the candles and stay for the fun. Take the Mass Pike to I-91, exit 24. Movie show travel itineraries with dots on maps. I want to do better than that and take you traveling by TV. Hi, this is Stephanie Abrams. Join me on Sundays on my new show, Travel TV with Stephanie Abrams, airing coast to coast when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Plan to sit right beside me. We'll explore travel for fun, business, reunions, weddings, honeymoons, families, and sports adventures, reaching homes in Boston, New York City, Miami, Orlando, Tampa, Dallas, Houston, Nashville, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and more cities across America. Our affiliate TV stations are listed at sabrams.com slash blog. That's s-a-b-r-a-m-s dot com slash blog and at biztv.com. Let's take off traveling together when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Sundays. Ah, Curacao, the island that offers vacationers 55 different cultures wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture like those you'd find in the Netherlands, but dressed in Southern Caribbean sherbet colors. Curacao's capital city, Willemstead, is a UNESCO World Heritage City waiting for you to explore its many attractions. And when you've whipped up an appetite and thirst after sightseeing and visiting your choice of over 60 dive and snorkeling sites complete with intimate coves and beaches, you'll find a wide variety of sidewalk cafes, gourmet restaurants, local eateries, and markets to satisfy every palate. Slide into Curacao's live and let live way of life. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com or call toll-free 800-328-7222. That's 800-328-7222. It's Travelers 411. I've left you in a kind of cliffhanger, standing outside 10 Downing Street, learning from Eamon O'Queeve, the TD of Irish government, uh, from representing people in Galway, 
and in Connemara, where he lives. And Connemara is part of Galway people, but we somehow think about it as different because it is. If you ever visit uh, Galway City and then you go into Connemara, you will see the vast difference <laughs> between the two regions. One is very metropolitan and modern, and the other is very rural, countryside, marvelous, great for fishing. Um, if you're into trout, that's your place, people. But uh, thank you, Eamon O'Queeve. You, you left us at a cliffhanger, so we've got just about five minutes. Bring us up to date on what happened. Um, who wasn't going to talk with whom? What was the story there? But basically, nobody was talking to Sinn Féin, even though they had plenty of elected politicians. Uh, and nobody was obviously talking to the IRA. And in the end of the day, they were getting more and more politicians elected, and the time had come to sit down and talk with them. The reality is that Sinn Féin, came into politics, became part of the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, they are totally committed now to politics north and south. They're actually in a very strong position, both north and south, politically. Yes. Uh, they're part of the executive in Northern Ireland, and they pursue uh, their political aims by totally democratic means. Now, there was also an issue at the time that people were reluctant to talk to the Democratic Unionist Party. Uh, I never agreed with that. I always thought that that was foolish because they too had people elected. And once people get elected, you have to talk to them. Uh, and again, the negotiations didn't really include them in the beginning. They walked out, but they then came into the executive later on. So what we've done is managed to persuade every elected representative in Northern Ireland to get involved in democratic politics. That is an amazing achievement. Uh, from a situation that there were insiders and outsiders and that the people's will was being thwarted. And the architect of all of this was John Hume. Now, we still have a lot to do, but the bedrock is in place. And what we need to do is build on that bedrock. Uh, he, he, he certainly would impress you when you met him. Uh, and, you know, because he was so approachable, uh, he was somebody that we all knew and we knew day by day uh, and we all had met uh, quite frequently uh, and he was very much part of the Irish history, particularly for the period from the uh, 80s and 90s. He was an ever-growing giant in Irish and Irish international politics. Well, you know, the first time I was supposed to meet him and I was face to face with him twice in Derry. Um, both times meeting at Beach Hill Country House when it was owned by Patsy O'Kane. And uh, she was a great friend of the family and of John and was the one who introduced me. And so I point that out because in your travels, if you have a special interest, um, there are local people wherever you go who will help um, enhance your experience by introducing you to people of similar interests. But our first meeting was supposed to be an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And we met at five. We were supposed to be finished by six, maybe 6.30. And we didn't part until half past midnight. Um, we managed to get in a, a recorded interview. Uh, we had uh, some um, some hors d'oeuvres and, and something to munch uh, around uh, six o'clock or whatever. But by eight, we realized we had missed dinner. And we wound up having dinner with John Hume and continuing the conversation. 
until um, half past midnight. And it was only because of the hour and we were beginning to approach exhaustion that we finally called it quits. And we had a similar experience the second time. And a great part of that was because John Hume was, as you described him, Eamon O'Queeve, John Hume was what we would call in the U.S. a lovable critter. Um, he was as down to earth. He was as human. He was as reachable, attainable. Um, he was a great speaker. And the way he expressed himself was fantastic, which you can find two interviews at sabrams.com and travelers411.com. Just put his name, H-U-M-E, John Hume, and you'll find links to those interviews. But at the same time, he was a phenomenal listener and he was curious and he was interested and his passion um, was finding peace putting an end to the troubles in Northern Ireland and everything that he did was to make that happen. Uh, Eamon O'Queeve, thank you so much for joining us today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. We're going to have more people on from Ireland and Northern Ireland talking about John Hume today. Stay with me, everybody. We're flying high. Travelers 411. Here's one of the 100 most powerful women in travel, Stephanie Abrams. Thank you for joining us this very special hour of this very special program content. One of the joys of traveling is having a chance to disconnect from everything that's normal in your life. Having people take care of you instead of you taking care of everybody. Uh, That is if you're traveling for pleasure rather than business. And too often we're focused on the destination, what there is to do, what there is to see, where the beaches are, where the best restaurants are, where to have a cocktail, where to stay. Uh, If there are events going on, and in my case, is there a Chinese restaurant in the area? And is there a movie theater? Because once every week I have to go to the movies and I have to have Asian food. (laughs) So I have my own craziness. But a very important part of travel that often is neglected, I believe, by Americans is the importance of meeting people, meeting the locals, getting to know them. And I have been very blessed in my travels because most of the time when I meet somebody, they know somebody they think I ought to know. And I'm always being introduced to fabulous people. One of those occasions was when we were at a a hotel that until a year or so ago was owned by Patsy O'Kane in Derry, Northern Ireland. And not far away from that hotel, there was a family that they, she and her family had befriended. So they knew these people intimately. And those people were the Hume family of which John Hume, the patriarch, was the 1998 Nobel Peace Prize winner who put all of his efforts over decades to come to a point to forge the Good Friday Agreement, which 
um, was meant to solve, resolve the, the, the period they called the Troubles in Northern Ireland. And he enlisted uh, many Americans of Irish descent, and they included Bill Clinton, Teddy Kennedy, uh, Hugh Carey, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, and Speaker Tip O'Neill. And regrettably, I don't think enough Americans even know the name John Hume, let alone what he did, why it's important, and what we can learn from it today in bringing peace to places. And so in today's show, we've already had Eamon O'Queeve, the grandson of Eamon de Valera. And if you don't know these names, people, go look them up. You're missing a big chunk of history that's really important. And um, he is currently, um, you know, one of the people that is like a congressman in the Irish government. They're called TDs. Later this hour, we're going to have on Jimmy Dinahan, who has three times been a minister of government over 34 years in Ireland. And uh, later, Dr. Tim Campbell and my good friend Maliki McCourt, uh, an American with a lot to say on all subjects. You may know him from his nine books and from his brother's book in which he plays a key role, Angela's Ashes, written by his brother, Frank McCourt, which was also made into a film and is, ba is based on the memoir of their lives. So we're going to go off and talk with Patsy O'Kane, who introduced me to John Hume about 11 years ago, right after this. Portions of today's show brought to you by Curacao, offering vacationers cultural experiences wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture. A UNESCO World Heritage City on a southern Caribbean island with coves, beaches, and over 60 dive and snorkeling sites. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com. We have on the line with us Patsy O'Kane live from Derry. Also known as Londonderry, also known as Derry Londonderry. <laughs> it's all very political. Uh, and it's a pleasure to have you on the line with us, Patsy. Patsy, how did you first Thank you, make Stephanie. how did you first make the acquaintance of John Hume? Um well I suppose I mean I would uh, have been I suppose a decade younger than John. So um he Whenever I was a teenager or late teens, uh, this young man um, who came from a similar background to myself uh, was sort of organizing civil rights marches, you know, uh, non-violent, shall we say, civil rights marches, just and letting you know, getting people together who had been discriminated against because they were Catholic and, you know, it was discrimination for jobs, discrimination for education. Um, Housing And well. you'll understand from your country, you know, discrimination has very negative effects on, on people. So that's how I got to know him. And he was very... He was very um, active at that stage, and uh, people did come out to support him. 
and they did feel safe because he was a very clever young man um, his communication skills were excellent and he was able to describe how we all felt and how our parents felt and how our grandparents felt about not uh, about being discriminated against and uh, I mean John he he just developed pers- almost personal relationships with each and every one of his followers now I know that seems ridiculous and seems impossible but I'll tell you what he was such such a wonderful person that he would have remembered you know I mean Northern Ireland is not such a big place and uh, he would have remembered nearly all of all of the people who supported him that he came into contact with and he listened and that was the big thing he understood how they felt and how um you know, this discrimination about jobs, about education, was affecting people. And he felt very strongly about why do, why for years had young Irish people to leave Ireland in search of jobs, in search of a better life. And this really, really hurt him because he felt this shouldn't be, I mean, they should be, there should be enough work and enough opportunities in their own land so let's let's do something about it but and that's that's how I got to know him and then you know as I got older and started up in business he was he was just a great leader he had a great understanding of what uh, what you know small business people who needed a, a little helping hand to get on their feet and get going and you know i mean if you have a brain you can do a lot of things but you need opportunities you need doors to open to get contacts to be successful in business and this is what john did john saw the bigger picture he saw Europe, you know, and the European Union and the benefit of that. And you'll know, Stephanie, how European money has helped the Republic. You only have to look at the jobs, the road network, all of that sort of thing. So John saw all these opportunities. And then you can go further afield. I mean, John had no problem uh, contacting Diaspora in the United States and asking for help. And this is the sort of this is the sort of person, but he had such an understanding, and he put everything in such a a positive light that people did uh, feel yes, let us do something. We we've been lucky, so now let us help those people who have been left in Ireland and need need a help to get to get up and get going and get established. Well, you know, um, you, you listed the many ways in which. Catholics in Northern Ireland had been discriminated against, but the one that um, has always stood out uh, clearly to me was discrimination in housing. And part of it was that, you know, if you couldn't get a job, you couldn't make enough money to have a house or a flat in a, you know, a nicer neighborhood than the one you were living in right now. Um, But even today, and I, you know, there are people that have told me this, this remnant has been left behind um, as a way of, um, you know, just attracting tourists to see it. I don't know that that's true or not, but you go through neighborhoods in Northern Ireland 
um, and particularly in dairy, um, or you go through the telephone book. And if the people, you look up somebody's name in the phone book, and let's say the name is Smith. Well, if John and Mary Smith list their address, and it's followed by, you know, 123 Main Street, Derry, you know John and Mary are Catholic. And if it's Anne and Fred Smith, and they list their address as Londonderry, you know they're Protestant. And when you go through neighborhoods, you will see painted on the curbstone or on the pole that holds up their mailbox, a red, white, and blue stripe, or um, a, a green, white, and orange stripe. And if it's the red, white, and blue stripe for the British flag, you know they're Protestant. And if it's the tricolors of the Irish flag, you know, they're Catholic. And when you go through neighborhoods, you know, you're alerted immediately who lives where. I mean, it's a, is that still there as a kind of tourism oddity? Or do people, you know, if they moved into a new house, would they make sure their curb was painted appropriately? Well, you know, Stephanie, I think that sort of... Um you know, the red, white, and blue and all the flag flying really belongs to um, deprived areas. And that's the one thing that John Hume opened his arms, opened his heart for dialogue with all these people. And John was, I mean, before we got the Good Friday Agreement, which was the best. I mean, whoever would have imagined peace in Ireland? I mean, go back 400 years, you know, and for this young man, you know, to be able to achieve that. But John was heavily criticised by um, politicians in the Republic, as well as politicians in Northern Ireland. As okay, well we're going to take a very quick commercial uh, break, and we're going to come right back and pick it up from there. Don't leave me, people. I'm talking with Patsy O'Kane. Live from Derry, Northern Ireland. Movie show travel itineraries with dots on maps. I want to do better than that and take you traveling by TV. Hi, this is Stephanie Abrams. Join me on Sundays on my new show, Travel TV with Stephanie Abrams, airing coast to coast when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Plan to sit right beside me. We'll explore travel for fun, business, reunions, weddings, honeymoons, families, and sports adventures, reaching homes in Boston, New York City, Miami, Orlando, Tampa, Dallas, Houston, Nashville, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and more cities across America. Our affiliate TV stations are listed at sabrams.com slash blog. That's s-a-b-r-a-m-s dot com slash blog and at biztv.com. Let's take off traveling together when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Sundays. The magic is happening at Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass. One of New England's most popular attractions, the village is a unique entertaining world of fun, fantasy, food, and fragrance for the whole family. It's also the world's largest candle shop where kids and grown-ups can make their own candles. 
The village is home to the enchanting Black Forest, where it snows year-round. Santa's Workshop, where he welcomes visitors every day of the year. And the Bavarian Christmas Village, filled with sparkling holiday ornaments. In addition to over 400,000 candles, you'll find toys, gifts, and more from great names like Pandora and Vera Bradley. And with tasty treats from Yankee Candy, Fresh Fudge, and Popcornopolis, every day is a holiday. Or sit down with the family for a wonderful meal at the award-winning Chandler's Restaurant. Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass., where families come for the candles and stay for the fun. Take the Mass Pike to I-91, exit 24. Ah, Curacao, the island that offers vacationers 55 different cultures wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture like those you'd find in the Netherlands, but dressed in Southern Caribbean sherbet colors. Curacao's capital city, Willemstead, is a UNESCO World Heritage City waiting for you to explore its many attractions. And when you've whipped up an appetite and thirst after sightseeing and visiting your choice of over 60 dive and snorkeling sites complete with intimate coves and beaches, you'll find a wide variety of sidewalk cafes, gourmet restaurants, local eateries, and markets to satisfy every palate. Slide into Curacao's live and let live way of life. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com or call toll free 800-328-7222. That's 800-328-7222. Your U.S. passport is the key to your international adventures abroad and is the most secure travel document that proves both citizenship and identity. The State Department's official website, travel.state.gov, has comprehensive information about applying for a passport for the first time, renewing a passport, passports for minors, fees, and much more. You can apply at over 8,000 passport acceptance facilities, including post offices and clerks of court. Standard processing is currently four to six weeks, and expedited service takes two to three weeks. If you need your passport in less than two weeks, call 1-877-487-2778 to schedule an appointment at one of our regional passport agencies. Once you have your passport, sign up for our Smart Traveler Enrollment Program and download our Smart Traveler app on your smartphone. You will receive country-specific information, travel alerts, and warnings. Visit us at travel.state.gov today. It's Travelers 411. I have on the line with me on this Honor John Hume Memorial Show, Patsy O'Kane, who knew John quite well. And it was the one who introduced me to John. And uh, my first meeting was supposed to be an hour, 90 minutes the most. And we were together seven and a half hours from 5 p.m. to half past midnight. It was a marathon. And the second meeting, uh, not long thereafter in Derry, um, was similar. A little bit shorter, but not much shorter. Probably about six hours. And um, Patsy... Um, was the owner until very recently of a wonderful hotel in Derry. And that hotel had a very strong American connection because of the U.S. Marines. Maybe, Patsy, um, we've got about four and a half minutes. If you could explain to us the U.S. Marine, U.S. Navy, and um, John Hume connection. Okay, well... Um 
I knew um, that the Marines lived, uh, you know, in the grounds of the hotel of Beach Hill, where the hotel where I uh, that I owned. So I spoke to John and I said, John, how can you help me develop a tourism initiative around this very authentic um, uh, project? And I said to him, you know, oh, he said, no problem. So he spoke to uh, Mary Pat Kelly, who was an American journalist, and she had worked with the U.S. Navy and the Marines. And all of a sudden we were on a roll. And then within about a month, we had a little charitable organization uh, formed because that having um, a voluntary organization like that, we could access, uh, access some funding. And John, he was the chairperson of that organization. And you know what? We went from success to success. We um, had the secretary, the then secretary of the U.S. Navy, John Dalton, come and see what we were all about and see if this was uh, really true. We had Bill Clinton visit us three times. We had several marine visits with several generals. Um, We even um, had... uh, Lots of memorabilia, scrapbooks donated to uh, donated to myself because we opened a little museum dedicated to the U.S. Marines, which um, is still there. Uh, and you know, it was the most wonderful initiative because you know there was such a strong connection between Derry and the United States. I mean, now, people all of who this, emigrated, all left of, all from of this. All of this was related to the U.S. Marines who were stationed on the grounds of um, Beach Hill Country House, but it wasn't a hotel then. And the officers lived in the main house, in the big manor house, and the enlisted Marines lived in Quonset huts that are still on the grounds. You can go and visit them. And this was all during World War II, and their job was to um, make sure that German U-boats didn't make it from the North Sea across the Atlantic Ocean to America. And um, I mean, it's quite a story. Now, you had in that heritage room photos of generals and Eleanor Roosevelt and um, soldiers, uh, sailors, Marines, people that were associated, American forces associated with this effort and to keep us safe on this side of the ocean by cutting them off at the pass there in Derry. And... um, I remember also you had at least one uniform and uh, and other you know goodies associated with all of that, including um, as you got off the elevator um, that if you took the elevator down one level from the heritage room, one of the walls right near the elevator um, there was a framed a news article, and I read it because one day I was waiting for the elevator. So while I was waiting, I read the article and I got stuck at the byline because the article was written by Ernie Pyle. That's spelled P-Y-L-E, people. If you're too young to know who Ernie Pyle was, go and Google Ernie Pyle. This was a journalist embedded in uh, World War II who um, reported back because we didn't have things like, you know, instant communications digitally. And um, that was pretty remarkable. Is is there? We've got thirty seconds. Have you got a real quick little uh, um, 
thought you want to share with us about John Hume, who we're memorializing today? John Hume is the only person in the world to have three peace prizes. The Nobel Peace Prize, the Gandhi Peace and the Martin Luther King Peace Award. So what more can I say? Oh, that sort of sums it up, doesn't it? World. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we have other testimonial you have to hear. We'll be right back. This is Stephanie Abrams. Portions of today's show brought to you by Curacao, offering vacationers cultural experiences wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture. A UNESCO World Heritage City on a southern Caribbean island with coves, beaches, and over 60 dive and snorkeling sites. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com. Your U.S. passport is the key to your international adventures abroad and is the most secure travel document that proves both citizenship and identity. The State Department's official website, travel.state.gov, has comprehensive information about applying for a passport for the first time, renewing a passport, passports for minors, fees, and much more. You can apply at over 8,000 passport acceptance facilities, including post offices and clerks of court. Standard processing is currently four to six weeks, and expedited service takes two to three weeks. If you need your passport in less than two weeks, call 1-877-487-2778 to schedule an appointment at one of our regional passport agencies. Once you have your passport, sign up for our Smart Traveler Enrollment Program and download our Smart Traveler app on your smartphone. You will receive country-specific information, travel alerts, and warnings. Visit us at travel.state.gov today. Movie show travel itineraries with dots on maps. I want to do better than that and take you traveling by TV. Hi, this is Stephanie Abrams. Join me on Sundays on my new show, Travel TV with Stephanie Abrams, airing coast to coast when it's 5 p.m. Eastern time. Plan to sit right beside me. We'll explore travel for fun, business, reunions, weddings, honeymoons, families, and sports adventures, reaching homes in Boston, New York City, Miami, Orlando, Tampa, Dallas, Houston, Nashville, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and more cities across America. Our affiliate TV stations are listed at sabrams.com slash blog. That's s-a-b-r-a-m-s dot com slash blog and at biztv.com. Let's take off traveling together when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Sundays. Ah, Curacao, the island that offers vacationers 55 different cultures wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture like those you'd find in the Netherlands, but dressed in Southern Caribbean sherbet colors. Curacao's capital city, Willemstead, is a UNESCO World Heritage City waiting for you to explore its many attractions. And when you've whipped up an appetite and thirst after sightseeing and visiting your choice of over 60 dive and snorkeling sites complete with intimate coves and beaches, you'll find a wide variety of sidewalk cafes, gourmet restaurants, local eateries, and markets to satisfy every palate. Slide into Curacao's live and let live way of life. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com or call toll free 800-328-7222. That's 800-328-7222.
the magic is happening at Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass. One of New England's most popular attractions, the village is a unique entertaining world of fun, fantasy, food, and fragrance for the whole family. It's also the world's largest candle shop, where kids and grown-ups can make their own candles. The village is home to the enchanting Black Forest, where it snows year-round. Santa's Workshop, where he welcomes visitors every day of the year. And the Bavarian Christmas Village, filled with sparkling holiday ornaments. In addition to over 400,000 candles, you'll find toys, gifts, and more from great names like Pandora and Vera Bradley. And with tasty treats from Yankee Candy, Fresh Fudge, and Popcornopolis, every day is a holiday. Or sit down with the family for a wonderful meal at the award-winning Chandler's Restaurant. Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass., where families come for the candles and stay for the fun. Take the Mass Pike to I-91, exit 24. Rumors. Stephanie Abrams' novel of secrets, lies, and conspiracies that ensnare the lives of ordinary people in a tightening web that all starts with rumors. Available at Amazon.com in print and Kindle formats and BarnesandNoble.com. Rumors by Stephanie Abrams, the perfect leisure time companion. Traveling soon? Got questions? Email Stephanie at Stephanie at SABRAMS.com. It's Travel with Stephanie Abrams. Portions of today's show brought to you in part by Malta, where you'll find walled cities, Baroque towns, sleepy villages, gorgeous seaside resorts, wonderful hotels and spas, great restaurants, beautiful beaches, the spiritual paths of St. Paul, and the Cathedral of the Knights of the Order of St. John. Whatever your interest, you'll find it in Malta. For details, go to visitmalta.com. It's Travelers 411. Well, I really enjoyed our catch-up with Patsy O'Kane, I, I called her a few days ago to ask her to come on the air to share her memories of John Hume, his amazing service to Northern Ireland and the island that is Ireland and to the whole concept of peace. And uh, we were on the phone two hours because we haven't spoken in, it's almost two years now since she sold um, Beach Hill Country House in Derry and um, it, we just lost touch and I managed to catch up with her so I'm so glad that she was available to come and talk with us because I don't think um, I spoke yesterday with Sister Camille Darienzo who was a member of the religious order of the Sisters of Mercy uh, who I sent with Sister Kathleen Quinn, who I just learned passed only a few weeks ago at the age of 90. I sent the two of them about 10 years ago or more to Ireland for 11 days and 10 nights uh, because the Sisters of Mercy were founded in Dublin. And Sister Kathleen still had earthly family uh, in Donegal that she was hoping to visit before she got any older. And at that time, it was about to be about nine, nine years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And um, I had them in their itinerary stop in Derry. And I sorted out, with Patsy's help, um, a meeting for Sister Camille and Sister Kathleen to meet with John Hume, 
Um, so I spoke yesterday with um, Sister Camille, but she's feeling a bit shy these days, so I couldn't coerce her. <laughs> it's hard to twist a nun's arm. <laughs> these are not fragile women. <laughs> They're quite sturdy. <laughs> But she really didn't feel up to doing it, so I'm really disappointed. But um, we've done our best to put together today and tomorrow um, people that have real insights into John Hume. And if you missed the first hour, we were talking with Eamon O'Queeve, who is a TD, which is like a congressman, uh, for the Irish Parliament um, called um, the Dale Aaron. And um, so that was, he's amazing anyway because of his own personal history. Uh, not only, of course, did he know uh, John Hume and, um, and had really great insights to share with us, he's also the grandson of Eamon de Valera. And if you don't know anything about Irish history, go look up Eamon de Valera. You want the shortcut? Get the film Michael Collins starring Liam Neeson as Michael Collins, who was the general and head of the Irish Republican Army uh, just about 100 years ago. And um, I think it was Alan Rickman who played Eamon de Valera. And when you visit Ireland, when you're in Dublin, either rent a car, take a taxi, do what you have to do. I'm sure there's probably some public transportation that runs out to Glasnevin Cemetery. And these two men who first worked together and then became diametrically opposed as time moved on are buried right next to each other. That cemetery is also, it's like Père Lachaise in uh, Paris. It is filled with the um, final resting place of even Daniel O'Connor, who uh, O'Connell, who was the George Washington of Ireland. Uh, and a great friend, by the way, of Frederick Douglass. So um, you can find more on that at sabrams.com and travelers411.com, um, archived audio. Um, and go put in Glasnevin, G-L-A-S-N-E-V-I-N, -E -E I want to say, cemetery, or just Glasnevin. It'll come up and you can get the interviews that I've done with the folks there. Um, everybody, literary figures, musical figures, political figures, um, if I lived in, if I died in Ireland, there are only two places I'd want to have my final resting place. One is Glasnevin, and the top, the other is the top of Sleeve League in Donegal, which is 1,500 feet above sea level, so we wouldn't worry about the rising oceans immersing us <laughs> for posterity. I do think about those crazy things, by the way. But on the line with me is um, a fellow who, every time I am in his presence, every time I speak with him, every time I interact with him, he endears himself more to me to the point that I would think it's not possible for me to admire, respect, and love him more. But somehow he always manages to do or say something that escalates um, his special place in my heart. And that's uh, Jimmy Dinahan who for over three decades was a minister of Irish government. Um, he was a teacher before that. He was, um, in his youth, a famous footballer, 
for County Kerry. So if you're one of those people that follows sports in Ireland, you'd know the name Jimmy Deanahan. If you fo follow politics in Ireland, you'd know the name Jimmy Deanahan. And I have Jimmy Deanahan on the line with me now. Thank you so much for cutting into your weekend. And uh, at this time of year with gorgeous weather, not that people don't play golf 12 months a year in Ireland, but you've been... Uh, stalking Bally Bunyan Golf Course of late in County Kerry, no? Well, I have. First of all, Stephanie, it's great speaking to you, and I'm delighted that you enjoyed your long holiday in Ireland. It was amazing. Which obviously was extended because of COVID, uh, but it was a pleasure meeting with you in the stall, and thank you for giving such great, I suppose, recognition to our Rights of Centers center in Listone and also our heritage railway so it's um, that's very important for us Stephanie because I know that you have a huge listenership in America and uh, whatever promotion we can get uh, that is good for for both projects but I'm just out here in the middle of rural Ireland rural Kerry uh, I'm involved in a Gaelic football team and we were playing a very serious game uh, just a while ago. Uh, so well, now I'm when you say still trying to cool down after the match. And, you, uh, you were actually, I'm, I'm, you were I'm actually a selector a on the team. But, uh, so it's great and you are speaking to you and I hope that the line is clear and that the reception is clear and that you can hear me clearly. Well, I can hear you. I don't know if you heard me trying to pop in just then because you said, you know, you're there at a Kerry football um, match. And, and, uh, no, it's, and, it's just uh, it's a team I'm involved with. I'm a when you say you're involved, are you one of the players? Uh, no, I'm, I'm nearly 70 years of age. Well, that's <laughs> no, why not. I was surprised. I'm a defensive coach and also a selector. So uh, these are all young people, very skillful Gaelic footballers. Also, they play the Irish game of hurling, which is the most skillful game in the world. Stick game, way ahead of lacrosse or field hockey or ice hockey. So these are good young guys, and I like interacting with them because from my own sporting background and also, as opposed my political background in the past, I can pass on a, a lot of common sense to them, and they listen to me about how they look after themselves as individuals, how they behave on the football field, how they train, how they value their youth, which is most important. So I, I love this interaction with these young people. But I'm delighted that you asked me to come on and say a few words about John Hume. Like so many politicians down in the Republic of Ireland, I knew John Hume well. Uh, he made it his business to connect with as many politicians as possible. And I was spokesperson in Northern Ireland for a brief period back in 2000, 2001. And uh, I visited John Hume and Derry. And... Uh-oh, I think we just lost you. Well, back in uh, 2000, 2001, uh, I was my party spokesperson on Northern Ireland. So I traveled up to Derry to meet John Hume. And we spent a day together with our then leader, Michael Noonan, who later became Minister for Finance in Ireland. And probably he was the man that rescued Ireland after the collapse of our economy um, in 2010. Um, but before that, I knew him well because we have mutual friends over in San Diego 
and San Jose. Um, John was very close to a former mayor of San Jose called Tom McHenry. And it was because of that connection with San Jose that John succeeded in getting Seagate to come to Derry. It had been announced for Clonmel in the Republic of Ireland, but because of John's influence with Brendan Hagerty, who was one of the senior vice presidents in Seagate, he convinced Seagate to come to Derry. And that is now the biggest employer in Derry. And also it employs people from the Republic of Ireland, from Donegal as well. So Derry was always number one for John. And Derry, uh, the, the, the people of Derry, uh, held John in such high respect. But just could I say that he's in there with O'Connell, with Parnell. And in 2000, there was a popular vote as to who was the most influential politician in Ireland in the 20th century. And John Hume came in ahead of Michael Collins, of Eamon de Valera, and everybody else. So the people of Ireland held him in really high regard. And but for him in Northern Ireland, we probably wouldn't have peace today uh, because uh, the militants would have taken over. And also the influence of America in bringing peace to Ireland was immense. And the reason being was because Hugh made it his business to befriend people like Senator Kennedy, people like Minahan Carey, Tip O'Neill. And he was the most influential Irish politician ever in Capitol Hill. There's no doubt about that. He was the person to go to uh, to get advice in Northern Ireland. And then ultimately, Bill Clinton played a really important role, which on Hume, in convincing uh, the militants in Northern Ireland, uh, the terrorists, uh, to come around the table and to talk peace. And uh, but for Hume, and I'd say but for Clinton, who spoke to people on both sides at that particular time of nationalism, the militant nationalism and the political nationalism. Uh, but for uh, Clinton and Hume um, and other people as well, like Tony Blair and Bertie Hearn in Dublin and many more, but for both of those people in particular played a very important role in convincing both uh, militant republicanism in Ireland and also the general nationalist population and unionist community as well that the only way forward was uh, the peaceful way and uh, to have um, to work together uh, in all their interests for the future uh, okay. so he was a very important figure and uh, no doubt uh, there'll be uh, PhDs done on his influence in um, civil rights in Northern Ireland and Stephanie was very much modeled really on the whole civil rights movement in America. And he was very much influenced by uh, Martin Luther King and also people like John Lewis, uh, an individual actually, I consider myself very fortunate to have met when I visited Atlanta and also afterwards um, up in Capitol Hill as well. I met him on a number of occasions. Okay, and, we're uh, gonna take a quick you, break right there and we're gonna come right back and pick up this important conversation with Jimmy Deanahan in Ireland. Don't leave me. Guests of Stephanie Abrams' travel shows when here in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts stay at the delightful and trendy boutique Hotel on North. Visit their website at hotelonnorth.com. 
Your U.S. passport is the key to your international adventures abroad and is the most secure travel document that proves both citizenship and identity. The State Department's official website, travel.state.gov, has comprehensive information about applying for a passport for the first time, renewing a passport, passports for minors, fees, and much more. You can apply at over 8,000 passport acceptance facilities, including post offices and clerks of court. Standard processing is currently four to six weeks, and expedited service takes two to three weeks. If you need your passport in less than two weeks, call 1-877-487-2778 to schedule an appointment at one of our regional passport agencies. Once you have your passport, sign up for our Smart Traveler Enrollment Program and download our Smart Traveler app on your smartphone. You will receive country-specific information, travel alerts, and warnings. Visit us at travel.state.gov today. Rumors, Stephanie Abrams' novel of secrets, lies, and conspiracies that ensnare the lives of ordinary people in a tightening web that all starts with rumors. Available at Amazon.com in print and Kindle formats and BarnesandNoble.com. Rumors by Stephanie Abrams, the perfect leisure time companion. Traveling soon? Got questions? Email Stephanie at Stephanie at S-A-B-R-A-M-S dot com. It's Travel with Stephanie Abrams. The magic is happening at Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass. One of New England's most popular attractions, the village is a unique entertaining world of fun, fantasy, food, and fragrance for the whole family. It's also the world's largest candle shop, where kids and grown-ups can make their own candles. The village is home to the enchanting Black Forest, where it snows year-round. Santa's Workshop, where he welcomes visitors every day of the year. And the Bavarian Christmas Village, filled with sparkling holiday ornaments. In addition to over 400,000 candles, you'll find toys, gifts, and more from great names like Pandora and Vera Bradley. And with tasty treats from Yankee Candy, Fresh Fudge, and Popcornopolis, every day is a holiday. Or sit down with the family for a wonderful meal at the award-winning Chandler's Restaurant. Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass., where families come for the candles and stay for the fun. Take the Mass Pike to I-91, exit 24. Movie show travel itineraries with dots on maps. I want to do better than that and take you traveling by TV. Hi, this is Stephanie Abrams. Join me on Sundays on my new show, Travel TV with Stephanie Abrams, airing coast to coast when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Plan to sit right beside me. We'll explore travel for fun, business, reunions, weddings, honeymoons, families, and sports adventures, reaching homes in Boston, New York City, Miami, Orlando, Tampa, Dallas, Houston, Nashville, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and more cities across America. Our affiliate TV stations are listed at sabrams.com slash blog. That's s-a-b-r-a-m-s dot com slash blog and at biztv.com. Let's take off traveling together when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Sundays. Ah, 
Ah, Curacao, the island that offers vacationers 55 different cultures wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture like those you'd find in the Netherlands, but dressed in Southern Caribbean sherbet colors. Curacao's capital city, Willemstead, is a UNESCO World Heritage City waiting for you to explore its many attractions. And when you've whipped up an appetite and thirst after sightseeing and visiting your choice of over 60 dive and snorkeling sites complete with intimate coves and beaches, you'll find a wide variety of sidewalk cafes, gourmet restaurants, local eateries, and markets to satisfy every palate. Slide into Curacao's live and let live way of life. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com or call toll free 800-328-7222. That's 800-328-7222. It's Travelers 411. On the line with me, live from County Kerry, Ireland. And we are now back home, people. Can you believe it? But it was a fabulous five-month stay in Ireland. I guess I'd feel differently had we gotten ill. But um, we managed to avoid that and get home safely. And uh, what a five-month-long amazing memory I have of our experiences, which include having had a catch-up with Jimmy Dinahan in uh, Listowel in County Kerry. We're talking about John Hume, and Jimmy Dinahan um, was also up to his neck in Irish politics, having for more than three decades been a minister within the Irish government. You know, you mentioned in the last segment, Jimmy, that um, John Hume, the 1998 Pulitzer uh, Peace Prize winner for his contribution to creating and forging the Good Friday Agreement, bringing an end to the troubles um, in Northern Ireland that were on a grand scale. And there was the occasional flare-up and flashpoint. But for the most part, people in Northern Ireland appreciate living in peace and the prosperity that came from that. But, you know, you mentioned the number of American politicians, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, Hugh Carey, Senator Teddy Kennedy, uh, Speaker Tip O'Neill, President Bill Clinton, all of whom got involved with um, John Hume as he put together this coalition to bring peace to the North. And you mentioned the influence of Martin Luther King and his um, concept of uh, peaceful ways of achieving peace um, that made a big impression on John Hume. You know, I was going to ask you in this segment, what can Americans who are having craziness in major cities and towns across America uh, in the recent, very recent past, what could we learn from John Hume and the Irish, but what you are pointing to is that John was looking to the Americans for help and to Martin Luther King's civil rights activism as a model for the North. So where where are we going astray here? <laughs> well, uh, Martin Luther King was uh, looking for just equal opportunities for um, African-Americans at that particular time, and especially in education. And John Hume was the same. John Hume always promoted education. 
as the great liberator for uh, Catholic, uh, the Catholics in Northern Ireland. And um, following the 1947 Education Act in Northern Ireland, then more Catholics were educated. And as a result of that, uh, it produced so many eminent people in so many different spheres, uh, not only in Ireland, uh, but globally as well. And it was because of education. And John Hume continuously emphasized, if you educate people, then uh, they will react better, they'll respond better to each other. And could I say as well that John Hume uh, was always of the opinion that with the Unionist community in Northern Ireland, who generally want to stay in the United Kingdom, that before we have a united Ireland, before they would even consider it, we have to become their friends first. They have to trust us. And uh, that was uh, John Hume's goal as well, uh, to become friends, uh, to enter dialogue with the unionist population. First of all, to convince the militant nationalists that the only way forward was a peaceful way, but then to convince the unionists as well uh, that the only way forward was uh, a joint government in Northern Ireland, shared government, and also um, north-south bodies, where you'd have uh, bodies for all of the country, all of Ireland, the island of the island of Ireland, and also east-west, where you'd have um, bodies for both uh, the UK and for the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. And I've had the experience of working and being part of those particular bodies and i must say they work very well and when uh, northern people whether they're from the protestant community or the catholic community when they're out of northern ireland they're inseparable because they have a lot more in common with each other uh, than they have with anybody else and that includes the south of ireland as well uh, so the more people enter into dialogue with each other the better chance peace will prevail in uh, the north of Ireland. Yeah, and uh, John know. Hume has been the central figure in promoting that. Look, he took a huge political risk in entering into talks with Jody Adams um, and Martin McGuinness, but Jody Adams especially, because Jody Adams would be seen to be the spokesperson for the IRA. Okay, people, stay with me. We'll be right back. Don't leave me. We're flying high. Travelers 411. Here's one of the 100 most powerful women in travel, Stephanie Abrams. I'm so glad to have you participating today as a listener and spectator to this weekend's tribute to the amazing giant of a man, John Hume, the 1998 Nobel Peace Prize winner who was awarded the prize as a co-winner with David Trimble, who represented the opposing party in Northern Ireland. But, you know, I've talked to so many people over the years, including John Hume, who was the humblest man on the face of the earth and passed away a couple of weeks ago at the age of 83. And um, I had the privilege and honor of meeting and spending serious quality time on two occasions in Derry, 
Northern Ireland with John. And while he was witty and bright and focused and an incredible activist on behalf of the Catholic community in Northern Ireland that suffered such hardships and oppression. And um, very similar to the civil rights movement in the U.S. Um, was what John was leading in Northern Ireland and working with key leaders in the U.S., being inspired by key leaders in the U.S., including Martin Luther King, who was a great inspiration to him. But he's now gone, and I, I don't know that people outside of the Irish-American community, people with no roots in Ireland, people who aren't reading newspapers like the Irish Echo or keeping up online with newspapers in Ireland like the Belfast Telegraph, the Irish Times, the Irish Independent. I, I don't know that there was enough coverage of why it's important to know who John Hume was and what he did and why his legacy must live on. And the link to travel is, if I weren't a traveler, I never would have met him. I was very lucky to have selected Beach Hill Country House as a place that, after we stayed the first time, was the place I wanted to stay every time we were in Derry in Northern Ireland. And Patsy O'Kane, who we had on in the last hour, uh, owned that hotel for many years, and she was a great friend of Pat and John Hume. And... It was because of Patsy that I got to meet John Hume. I didn't know who he was. But she said, oh, you must know this man. You must meet this man. She set up uh, a one-hour cocktail hour for us to have a drink together, talk a bit, and do a recorded interview for radio. That first meeting lasted seven and a half hours. We parted from one another at half past midnight. And not only did we have a cocktail and some hors d'oeuvres at 5, we had dinner at 8.30. <laughs> and um, about six or eight or ten months or a year later, somewhere in there, we were back in Derry. And we made another appointment to meet with John. And that one was about six or seven hours as well. And so one more time, I had him on the air by telephone. And that was when Hillary was running for president and they were, there were some remarks about what Hillary had done to help the peace process in Northern Ireland. And those on the bashing side of all things democratic on radio and TV in America were questioning, what did Hillary do in Northern Ireland? What did she have to do with it? And so I already knew from John Hume and called John because I felt it had more credibility coming from his mouth than mine, had him on the air while I was in my studio, and he was in Derry by telephone, and he explained how while Bill Clinton was working with the political machine 
in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, Hillary was running seminars and workshops, meeting with groups of women, women only, meeting with groups. Well, there may have been some men there, but the focus was on how to empower women to understand that politics is not just a male sport. And it is because of that there are so many women in Northern Ireland today who are political leaders. And you can point to Hillary for that. So, you know, I knew the story. And if there's one thing I'm into is let's let's lay out the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And in thinking about, you know, today we've had on Eamon O'Queeve, the grandson of Eamon de Valera, one of the presidents early on about 100 years ago in Ireland who worked with Michael Collins to bring about the Republic of Ireland. They were great friends until they weren't anymore. And then regrettably, uh, uh, they died as um, in opposition. But if you go to Glasnevin Cemetery in Dublin, which is like Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris, everybody important is buried there um, in every walk of life from in their death they are there, the authors, the musicians, the politicians, um, you name it, they're there. And nearly beside one another, Michael Collins and Eamon de Valera are, are buried, so uh, if, if they're, they're together for eternity. But in addition to having Patsy O'Kane in the last hour, and Jimmy Deanahan, who for over 30 years was a minister of Irish government until uh, about two years ago, and I'm hoping he comes back. As a matter of fact, if I had my wishes, uh, he'll come back as the Minister of Tourism for Ireland because what that man has done for County Kerry and for Ireland in general, but County Kerry specifically, uh, encouraging tourism to that region is remarkable, and he gets it. He gets it. He understands it. The more I know him, the more I admire, respect, and adore him. So, and he had a great deal to share about John Hume in the last hour as well. But I wanted to have an, an, an American point of view that is also an Irish point of view from my Brooklyn-born friend who, speaking with him, you'd never guess he was born in Brooklyn because he was swept away to Limerick, Ireland in his early youth with his brothers. And you may know him well from the nine books he's written, from the films and TV shows he's been in. He's an actor, he's an author, he's a wit, he's a historian all in his own right. Um, he even has a radio show in New York City. Um, but he um, too often gets second billing when people say things like, I read your brother's book. And you may know him, the little giggle in the background, as Malachi McCourt, whose brother has now passed a good few years now, uh, Frank McCourt, who wrote the memoir, Angela's Ashes, that was made into a film and two other memoirs. So um, we're going to talk with Malachi McCourt about the strife in Ireland, about um, the peace in Ireland, and all other things wherever the road may take us, because once you start talking with Malachi, you just don't know where it's going to lead. So uh, tighten your seatbelt as we take off right after this. Guests of Stephanie Abrams' travel shows when here in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts stay at the delightful and trendy boutique 
Hotel on North. Visit their website at hotelonnorth.com. We spent five and a half weeks in Northern Ireland. Uh, No, that's wrong. We spent five and a half weeks in the Republic of Ireland, arriving February 28th this year, getting caught up in the lockdown and the closure of the airlines and the hotels uh, after being there three weeks. And just a couple of days before we were supposed to fly home on the 18th of March, everything shut down. And I have to tell you people, if you're going to get abandoned somewhere, let it be on the island that is Ireland. It was, I have to tell you, the five happiest months of my life. We rented a house in Northern Ireland in Can- County Antrim, and we were there four months, and then another two and a half weeks in Listowel in County Kerry with the help of my good friend Jimmy Dinahan, who helped us sort out a house there for a couple of weeks. We spent the last three nights at the Fitzgerald's Woodland House Hotel in uh, County Limerick in Adair. And it's just outside of the village of Adair, which is like a storybook kind of a town with uh, even the shops look like uh, old Irish thatched cottages, the place adorable. Very different in feel from the city of Limerick, which is quite the metropolis uh, in County Limerick and is probably maybe, I don't know, what, 20 minutes away, <laughs> half an hour, something like that, where my good friend on the line, Malachi McCourt, was swept off to um, after being born in, Bro- in Brooklyn um, as his father made the decision that they'd be better off in Limerick. Um, if you've seen the film Angela's Ashes or read the book, you've got the insights into how less than a good idea that probably was. But um, it's so good to have you on the line, my very good friend. How are you managing? Well, uh, any day, uh, Stephen, thank you very much again. Grant to talk to you, and it's fascinating to hear of your your uh, unplanned sojourn in both the north and the south of Ireland. And uh, that island, uh, which uh, you can cover, uh, it's 135 miles wide and about 350 miles uh, from top to bottom. So it's about one-tenth the size of Texas, twice the size of Rhode Island. So... That tiny little place is such a, has such a profound effect on, uh, on, on, uh, on, our, on our world, really. There were, uh, as somebody said about Irish and Jewish, we're not ethnic groups, we're uh, psychosis of <laughs> sorts. <laughs> well, and you know, is... Maliki McCord, this is Maliki McLaughlin Leprechaun here. I'll be right back. show travel itineraries with dots on maps. I want to do better than that and take you traveling by TV. Hi, this is Stephanie Abrams. Join me on Sundays on my new show, Travel TV with Stephanie Abrams, airing coast to coast when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Plan to sit right beside me. 
We'll explore travel for fun, business, reunions, weddings, honeymoons, families, and sports adventures, reaching homes in Boston, New York City, Miami, Orlando, Tampa, Dallas, Houston, Nashville, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and more cities across America. Our affiliate TV stations are listed at sabrams.com slash blog. That's S-A-B-R-A-M-S dot com slash blog and at biztv.com. Let's take off traveling together when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Sundays. The magic is happening at Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass. One of New England's most popular attractions, the village is a unique entertaining world of fun, fantasy, food, and fragrance for the whole family. It's also the world's largest candle shop where kids and grown-ups can make their own candles. The village is home to the enchanting Black Forest, where it snows year-round. Santa's Workshop, where he welcomes visitors every day of the year. And the Bavarian Christmas Village, filled with sparkling holiday ornaments. In addition to over 400,000 candles, you'll find toys, gifts, and more from great names like Pandora and Vera Bradley. And with tasty treats from Yankee Candy, Fresh Fudge, and Popcornopolis, every day is a holiday. Or sit down with the family for a wonderful meal at the award-winning Chandler's Restaurant. Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass. Where families come for the candles and stay for the fun. Take the Mass Pike to I-91, exit 24. Ah, Curacao, the island that offers vacationers 55 different cultures wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture like those you'd find in the Netherlands, but dressed in Southern Caribbean sherbet colors. Curacao's capital city, Willemstead, is a UNESCO World Heritage City waiting for you to explore its many attractions. And when you've whipped up an appetite and thirst after sightseeing and visiting your choice of over 60 dive and snorkeling sites complete with intimate coves and beaches, you'll find a wide variety of sidewalk cafes, gourmet restaurants, local eateries, and markets to satisfy every palate. Slide into Curacao's live and let live way of life. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com or call toll-free 800-328-7222. That's 800-328-7222. Your U.S. passport is the key to your international adventures abroad and is the most secure travel document that proves both citizenship and identity. The State Department's official website, travel.state.gov, has comprehensive information about applying for a passport for the first time, renewing a passport, passports for minors, fees, and much more. You can apply at over 8,000 passport acceptance facilities, including post offices and clerks of court. Standard processing is currently four to six weeks, and expedited service takes two to three weeks. If you need your passport in less than two weeks, call 1-877-487-2778 to schedule an appointment at one of our regional passport agencies. Once you have your passport, sign up for our Smart Traveler Enrollment Program and download our Smart Traveler app on your smartphone. You will receive country-specific information, travel alerts, and warnings. Visit us at travel.state.gov today. It's Travelers 411. I've invited my good friend Maliki McCourt, 
Any of you remember the show Ryan's Hope it used to air before All My Children on ABC? Maliki was the bartender. Uh, he's written nine books. He's quite the raconteur. Um, he is a very humble man who is hilarious. Um, if you need a good laugh, you need to read one of his books. Or if you're lucky enough that you have his phone numbers as I do, you place a call. And no matter what the circumstances, you're gonna he he leaves you laughing. And but today it's really no laughing matter. The um, serious, wonderful contribution that John Hume, a dairy man from Derry, Northern Ireland, who won the Nobel Peace Prize for his truly forging the Good Friday Agreement, bringing resolution to the troubles in Northern Ireland. Not that there aren't little flare-ups now and again, but today, Northern Ireland and the relationship with the Republic of Ireland is a whole different story from what it was in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. And um, Maliki, I wonder if we could just start before we then get into a bit more about you and your own history and your life to talk about um, your impressions of John Hume. Yeah, well, I, I think that's uh, and and you're quite uh, you're quite right uh, about uh, him, Stephanie. That uh, the 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 uniqueness of the man was his. Uh, uh, unlike a lot of uh, of people who uh, sell out uh, on either for position, for power, for uh, money, or something like that, but John Hume uh, never deviated from the one thing, the the one mission, the one principle, the one guiding passion in his life was, regardless of your belief, whether you were, as in Ireland, there was that, that severe uh, uh, division of Protestants and Catholics. And, and, and Brendan Behan once said to a North of Ireland Protestant woman, you know, you, you're up here on the North of Ireland, and you and Mark know that when you are walking around the North of Ireland, I mean, here you can tell the difference between an African-American person and uh, Caucasian, but over there the division is between Protestant and Catholics. That's so, but how the hell can you distinguish a Protestant from a Catholic in the north of Ireland? So Brendan Behan was talking to a woman in, in the north of Ireland, and he, he he posed that question to her. He said, "How would I know a Protestant from a Catholic up here?" And she said, the Protestant woman said to the Catholic being, she said, you can always tell the Catholics by their wee button noses. That's what she said. <laughs> Catholics had small noses. Well, I, to I told that uh, yarn on, uh, on the radio, well, you should have seen the avalanche that I got that people were... Uh, Referring, thought that, that I was talking about the Jews and big noses, and I had no uh, idea that that was uh, that that was another uh, pejorative description of people. And that, but anyway, all of it, uh, all the Catholics that, that were accused of all the things that the blacks were accused of here. Uh, here was black people to hear that the people say, "Well, they're lazy." 
they're crime-ridden, they drink too much, and all they want is welfare. You know, the, all the cliches about poor people, that's the ones they laid on Catholics in the north of Ireland. But and it was Maliki, an astonishing thing. Maliki. So John Hume grew up in Derry, and but he never deviated from that. He didn't care whether you were Protestant, Catholic, an atheist, or whether you suffer from rheumatism or anything. It was that his objective and passion was peace. You know, um, we're, um, you made a remark about... Um... Um, you know the the stereotypes of the Catholic in Northern Ireland. Yes. Um, and um, it, it just strikes me because um, in Derry, it's easy to know the Protestants from the Catholics in Derry. If you're Catholic or you're a Catholic sympathizer, you know you may not be church going any longer, but you were born in or you know you tend yeah. to, you yeah. tend to be more leaning to the Catholic. Um, ideology in terms of social activism for equality, um, you'd call Derry, Derry. But if you're Protestant, you'd call it Londonderry. That's right, yeah. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Don't leave me. Portions of today's show brought to you by Curacao, offering vacationers cultural experiences wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture, a UNESCO World Heritage City on a southern Caribbean island with coves, beaches, and over 60 dive and snorkeling sites. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com. Your U.S. passport is the key to your international adventures abroad and is the most secure travel document that proves both citizenship and identity. The State Department's official website, travel.state.gov, has comprehensive information about applying for a passport for the first time, renewing a passport, passports for minors, fees, and much more. You can apply at over 8,000 passport acceptance facilities, including post offices and clerks of court. Standard processing is currently four to six weeks, and expedited service takes two to three weeks. If you need your passport in less than two weeks, call one 877 487-2778 to schedule an appointment at one of our regional passport agencies. Once you have your passport, sign up for our Smart Traveler Enrollment Program and download our Smart Traveler app on your smartphone. You will receive country-specific information, travel alerts, and warnings. Visit us at travel.state.gov today. Movie show travel itineraries with dots on maps. I want to do better than that and take you traveling by TV. Hi, this is Stephanie Abrams. Join me on Sundays on my new show, Travel TV with Stephanie Abrams, airing coast to coast when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Plan to sit right beside me. We'll explore travel for fun, business, reunions, weddings, honeymoons, families, and sports adventures, reaching homes in Boston, New York City, Miami, Orlando, Tampa, Dallas, Houston, Nashville, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and more cities across America. Our affiliate TV stations are listed at sabrams.com slash blog. That's s-a-b-r-a-m-s dot com slash blog and at biztv.com. Let's take off traveling together when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Sundays.
Curacao, the island that offers vacationers 55 different cultures wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture like those you'd find in the Netherlands, but dressed in Southern Caribbean sherbet colors. Curacao's capital city, Willemstead, is a UNESCO World Heritage City waiting for you to explore its many attractions. And when you've whipped up an appetite and thirst after sightseeing and visiting your choice of over 60 dive and snorkeling sites complete with intimate coves and beaches, you'll find a wide variety of sidewalk cafes, gourmet restaurants, local eateries, and markets to satisfy every palate. Slide into Curacao's live and let live way of life. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com or call toll free 800-328-7222. That's 800-328-7222. The magic is happening at Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass. One of New England's most popular attractions, the village is a unique entertaining world of fun, fantasy, food, and fragrance for the whole family. It's also the world's largest candle shop, where kids and grown-ups can make their own candles. The village is home to the enchanting Black Forest, where it snows year-round. Santa's Workshop, where he welcomes visitors every day of the year. And the Bavarian Christmas Village, filled with sparkling holiday ornaments. In addition to over 400,000 candles, you'll find toys, gifts, and more from great names like Pandora and Vera Bradley. And with tasty treats from Yankee Candy, Fresh Fudge, and Popcornopolis, every day is a holiday. Or sit down with the family for a wonderful meal at the award-winning Chandler's Restaurant. Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass., where families come for the candles and stay for the fun. Take the Mass Pike to I-91, exit 24. Rumors, Stephanie Abrams' novel of secrets, lies, and conspiracies that ensnare the lives of ordinary people in a tightening web that all starts with rumors. Available at Amazon.com in print and Kindle formats and BarnesandNoble.com. Rumors by Stephanie Abrams, the perfect leisure time companion. Traveling soon? Got questions? Email Stephanie at Stephanie at SABRAMS.com. It's Travel with Stephanie Abrams. It's Travelers 411. When we were in Ireland from f- February 28th, we, we flew on the 27th, and you lose a night in the air, and you land this morning. But from February 27th this year until July 20th, we were in Ireland. Uh, five happiest months of my life, by the way. Um, and while we commiserated with, with all who were suffering in so many ways, particularly those who either were or had family members who were ill, um, I guess I'd have a different point of view had we gotten sick. But being able to be in the most amazing geographic setting of natural beauty, fabulous neighbors who called all the time, left care packages at the front door, sacks of books and magazines, bakery goods and fruits and vegetables. You just never knew what surprise you were going to find when the doorbell rang. And of course, we never opened the door for anybody and whatever they left would sit out there for hours before we'd go near it and then disinfect everything before it came into the house. So um, we've managed to... um, now be home, and uh, if, if those of you who have been listening for months know, 
Um, my husband, Mark, uh, is our remote producer, and he was, the control room was the dining room table at Corner Cottage in Ballygally, Cairn Castle, Northern Ireland, just outside of Larne, about four miles north of Larne, if you look at the map, which is about a half hour north of Belfast. And um, I was in the kitchen, and that was, you know, my studio. Now we're home. And um, the way it works best for sound and everything else, my husband is out in our morning room and I'm in the bedroom. <laughs> so this is the new normal. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to be able to hear in the background, there are ski doos on our lake and people making noise with motorized this and that. So um, if it's there, at least you know what it is. I have on the line my good friend Malachi McCord and my alter ego is Malachi McLaughlin Leprechaun. Uh, my Irish connection is that I was a leprechaun in a past life. Did you know that, Maliki? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was talking to one of them, and he said they knew you well. <laughs> yeah. Speaking yeah. of knowing yeah. you well. Um, you, have never, you have never aged. That's the thing. That's the well, amazing no, thing about leprechauns. Never age. They always stay lively and humorous and uh, eloquent like yourself, as I, you are. You I are didn't that. I didn't know about the aging thing because when, um, at very early on in my life, do you remember Carol Channing? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. I wish I had known her. I, I loved that woman. Um she was on um, an afternoon talk show 100 years ago called The Mike Douglas Show. Or maybe it was Phil Donahue. It was one of those people with an afternoon TV show ages, decades ago. And she was talking about how she was raised uh, in the Christian science faith. And oh, yeah. they don't celebrate birthdays. And as a child, she would go to other people's birthday parties and be jealous that... Everybody was excited that they were born and they got presents and they ate cake and ice cream and they played games and her birthday would come and everybody would ignore it. And it wasn't until she was an adult that she understood the value of not labeling people with an age. And her yeah. point on that show was when you label someone with an age, you make them too young to do some things and too old to do other things when in fact, at whatever age they are, they might be quite capable of whatever the task is. And I thought that was really brilliant. And it was in that moment yeah. that I chose 19 because I don't smoke and I don't gamble and I don't drink. And so I didn't need to be 21. Um, but, you know, 18, you could drive in New York City, so 19 worked for me. And I decided I'm just going to be 19 forever. So um, I keep learning. Uh, I keep growing. I just stopped aging decades ago. As a matter of fact, when my children were tiny, tiny people, I taught them to say, if anyone ever asks how old mommy is, you say 19. And I can remember my children at age two and a half, three, three and a half, actually being asked that question because I would never answer. And as Oscar Wilde, the great Irish wit and author would and playwright would say, a woman who will tell you her age will tell you anything. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, at, at what age were you? when you were whisked out of Brooklyn and taken to Limerick? Uh, what happened was uh, my, I had uh, my mother and father met here 
they got married and they had Frank in 1930. Then I was born in 1931. I will be 89 next uh, month, September 20th. And then twins were born, Eugene and Oliver. And then Margaret Mary was born. And that was, you know, the one little female in this uh, house that was rampant with males all over the bloody place, uh, both uh, big and small. And then Margaret Mary uh, died in uh, in the middle of the night and uh, and, and that, that was frank myself so anyway my mother had a breakdown uh, and uh, totally she just went she was between um, uh, a post uh, post what do you call it after the birth uh, postpartum and between that and the grief uh, she went she descended into a deep deep depression which didn't allow her to do anything except stare into space and then suddenly weep and uh, smoking so my father decided that she was not going to recover so that was how we uh, we got some friends and relatives uh, give us the money we got on a ship and uh, off we went to ireland we went to the north of ireland where you just were uh, we were in antrim where and, in county uh, antrim because that's exactly where we were in cancer well, yes i know yeah, yeah, i know you were talking about where that. Were my you? father was from tombridge county antrim oh wow yeah not too far from Ballymena, where his his sister lived there uh, with her family and her husband and that was uh, liam neeson was her next door neighbor because yeah, he his still has... and my grandmother and my um, were, were great friends. He still has and a house. So... Uh, he still has a house there, or it's a family inherited house or something. And by the way, people, um, if you're planning to go that way in that direction, uh, down the road from the um, house we were in, literally barely a mile is um, the A2, the Antrim Coastal Road. And on the corner of the A2, the Irish, if you're going north, the Irish Sea is on your right, and on your left, you will see the Ballygally Castle Hotel. And one wall is the original fortress wall from the early 1600s, and one portion of the hotel is part of the Norman Tower that was part of that castle. Well, that road there on your left is Cairn Castle Road. And if you make a left turn for barely a mile, you come to a T-junction and that where the road just stops, you know, in front of you. Yeah. And at that corner, you're at the corner of Drumna Greg Road and Cairn Castle. And that's where we were staying at Corner Cottage. And the road goes gently uphill for a mile. You don't even feel like you're climbing a hill because it stretches out. The incline stretches over a mile, but when you get to the corner of the house at Cairn Castle and Drum the Greg Road and you look back from whence you've come, you, you, you don't see houses or fields, you just see the Irish Sea. So it's, it's just gorgeous. And if you continue up the road, you're going to see a sign that says, make a left here. It'll take you to Ballymena. In Ballymena, there's a wonderful place to stay called Garen, uh, Galgorm, G-A-L-G-O-R-M, Galgorm uh, Resort and Spa. Place is fabulous. Go look it up. Go to sabrams.com. Put in either Ballymena, M-E-N-A at the end, or put in Galgorm, G-A-L-G-O-R-M, and you'll get interviews and photos and 
you know, archived audio and all that jazz that you'll enjoy. So I always assumed you lived in Limerick because... Um, oh, we did. We did. We, uh, so when we went to in... Ireland, uh, first we went and stayed with my uh, father's people uh, in Tombridge, County Antrim. That's where my grandfather, grandmother were, were living. And uh, But we weren't because, well, they had a fairly good-sized house, but for six people to descend on them yeah. in 1935, when, you know, things were rough all over the world. There was a worldwide depression, as, uh, as we know. And Ireland and, uh, wasn't the so country they were, it is we were today. Not too, uh, they, they, they were a bit unwelcoming, so we, we left there and we went uh, south. Uh, my mother's people were from Limerick, and uh, so my father from, from the north. And so we were not too welcome there either. My mother's people, there was nobody was welcoming anybody in those in those days. So we went from uh, flea-bitten, rat-ridden, mouse-ridden, rotten slums year after year after year and an utter miserable time in, in those days. And, you know, people are always talking about, oh, wasn't Ireland lovely and so on well, and so forth. Well, it wasn't then. And I have to nod and uh, and just say, mm-hmm, and, and don't get me going on uh, on our lives there, because uh, two, three years after we arrived in Ireland, uh, Eugene and Oliver died, two years the after twins. Oliver died, and then six months after he died, my uh, the other lad died. So we had three three deaths of children within a period of uh, of four years and that was uh, and then two more were born mike and alfie so that so we grew to adulthood uh, but they're all dead now and i am the last uh, surviving McCourt of that crowd above above ground but you know when so you... that was uh, it was it was purpose it was very uh, it was very rough, and uh, and as you know, my mother said, well, yes, indeed, but you you see, you can't eat scenery, is what she said. Yes, but you so. know, Maliki, you know, when you're talking about Ireland, Ireland today is a whole different place. Oh, it's a different place but altogether. In, in the 1960s, um, areas like, Galway and Clare um, on the west coast of Ireland didn't have electricity yet. And there were still people living in in um, uh, small c- cottages that had had you know no indoor plumbing and you know no running water inside, and that was the 1960s. So you know it was this this great wonderful miracle that happened in Ireland economically. Yeah, that, the, the Celtic. Uh... The Celtic tiger, yes. That yeah, was it? Well, you know, uh, Stephanie, one of the things that. Uh... We are in the, in these days of uh, of well of, of that fantastic uh, uh, mantle of prosperity that descended on Ireland in those in the last in this uh, last uh, few uh, decades of 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 the century, and the, but people forget that they have to forget that Ireland was occupied for. Uh, Nine hundred years. years by by Britain, right. and it was it was Britain's garden. You know, for example, there was that uh, horrendous. It wasn't a famine. They called it the Great Hunger, 
Secrets, lies, and conspiracies that ensnare the lives of ordinary people in a tightening web that all starts with rumors. Available at Amazon.com in print and Kindle formats and BarnesandNoble.com. Rumors by Stephanie Abrams, the perfect leisure time companion. Traveling soon? Got questions? Email Stephanie at Stephanie at SABRAMS.com. It's Travel with Stephanie Abrams. The magic is happening at Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass. One of New England's most popular attractions, the village is a unique entertaining world of fun, fantasy, food, and fragrance for the whole family. It's also the world's largest candle shop, where kids and grown-ups can make their own candles. The village is home to the enchanting Black Forest, where it snows year-round. Santa's Workshop, where he welcomes visitors every day of the year. And the Bavarian Christmas Village, filled with sparkling holiday ornaments. In addition to over 400,000 candles, you'll find toys, gifts, and more from great names like Pandora and Vera Bradley. And with tasty treats from Yankee Candy, Fresh Fudge, and Popcornopolis, every day is a holiday. Or sit down with the family for a wonderful meal at the award-winning Chandler's Restaurant. Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield, Mass., where families come for the candles and stay for the fun. 
Take the Mass Pike to I-91, exit 24. Movie show travel itineraries with dots on maps. I want to do better than that and take you traveling by TV. Hi, this is Stephanie Abrams. Join me on Sundays on my new show, Travel TV with Stephanie Abrams, airing coast to coast when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Plan to sit right beside me. We'll explore travel for fun, business, reunions, weddings, honeymoons, families, and sports adventures, reaching homes in Boston, New York City, Miami, Orlando, Tampa, Dallas, Houston, Nashville, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and more cities across America. Our affiliate TV stations are listed at sabrams.com slash blog. That's s-a-b-r-a-m-s dot com slash blog and at biztv.com. Let's take off traveling together when it's 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Sundays. Ah, Curacao, the island that offers vacationers 55 different cultures wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture like those you'd find in the Netherlands, but dressed in Southern Caribbean sherbet colors. Curacao's capital city, Willemstead, is a UNESCO World Heritage City waiting for you to explore its many attractions. And when you've whipped up an appetite and thirst after sightseeing and visiting your choice of over 60 dive and snorkeling sites complete with intimate coves and beaches, you'll find a wide variety of sidewalk cafes, gourmet restaurants, local eateries, and markets to satisfy every palate. Slide into Curacao's live and let live way of life. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com or call toll free 800-328-7222. That's 800-328-7222. It's Travelers 411. You know, um, we were talking earlier about uh, Brendan Behan's question, how can you tell a Protestant from a Catholic in Ireland? Well, if you happen to visit Derry even today, and I've yet to get a proper answer to the question of, is this a way of putting um, colored fences around neighborhoods, or is it really still left as a tourism um, atavistic um, you know, just a leftover piece of history uh, for for tourists to have a look at. But when you're in Derry and you go into residential neighborhoods in Northern Ireland, you will find that either the poles that hold up their mailboxes at the curb or the curbstone in front of their driveways and houses will be painted with three stripes. If the stripes are red, white, and blue, it's a Protestant neighborhood because the British flag is red, white, and blue, which is the reason, by the way, the American flag is red, white, and blue. Um, If um, it's orange and white and green, it's the tricolors of the Irish flag, then that's a Catholic neighborhood. And it's the weirdest thing for an American to drive around and see, oh, we're in a Catholic neighborhood, oh, we're in a Protestant neighborhood. Um, but that's just how it was, um, and you'll still see it there today. The murals in Derry have all been repainted. Um, that's something worth going to see because the murals in Derry depict um, the troubles that John Hume played an instrumental role in bringing to an end. 
Um, we've got a few minutes. I wonder if you and can... He's still, he's still, he's still, I wanted to say this too again about, you know, yes. the, the way John Hume stuck to the principles of, of peace and he got the, the prize, Nobel Prize for, for, for that, Nobel Peace Prize. It was that and he steered uh, Jerry Adams away from anything. All, he got him right out of the whole thing about gaining independence by violence. He said we have to do it with love. So, so we uh, he 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 managed to to do that. And and of course, another another great person that we have lost this uh, week was Pete Hamill, who was also from the north of Ireland, and he saw the. Uh, was a Belfast man. My father was a Bel- died in Belfast. So we have, and uh, and John Humes was Derry. But the, the 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 amount of people that that were that were they were in a sense for peace. But the Bible, you know, the biblical thing is, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. But uh, the, it, it being a peacemaker in the north of Ireland was extremely dangerous. Because they they figured some people the violent people were uh, on a, they they just would would assassinate peacemakers you know and it was horrendous that the hatred that went on between two Christian uh, communities was astonishing. Well, but I, the I, thing was you know and that's the part that often I think. Um, Americans miss. I'm luckier in that I have been immersed enough in conversations and in learnings of various kinds firsthand on site in places, in museums, in cathedrals, in uh, libraries in Ireland and Northern Ireland. And the, the thing is that was clear is that it wasn't a question of, I don't like the way you worship Jesus. It was a question of the Protestants saw themselves as a higher class of people, a better bred, better educated class of people. And they managed to put their heels on the heads of Catholics. You know, you said something earlier about, um, uh, you know, people working, you know, the, the people being lazy, that the Catholics in, in Northern Ireland were were um, focused on yeah, as... Dr- yeah. Drinkers and right. lazy people. Well, but they the fact of the matter there. is, yeah. the fact of the matter is, like so many companies in America, that when the wave of Irish came in, but there were many a factory and shop that had a sign that said, no Irish need apply. But it was the same thing in Ireland because they wouldn't hire the men. And it's the same thing that was done to African-American men, which is the reason that so many families of African-American descent have been matriarchal. The the women made the family function because the men couldn't get good jobs. And when when you look at Ireland and the parallel, the men were not hired, so what were they supposed to do? So they were home. There was nothing to do, and they would drink, and they couldn't get a job if they wanted one. And so it was the women that were doing the work. But I'm so glad that you were able to be with us today to honor John Hume, a giant of a man. We're flying high.